And so follow along in your Bibles or on the screen as we read Ezekiel chapter 27. Hey, we're hearing that there's no sound on the live stream. Yeah, sorry, sorry. So what should I do? Are they ready? Yeah, keep going. Okay, keep going. Keep going. All right. Ezekiel chapter 27. The word of the Lord came to me. Now you, son of man, raise a lamentation over Tyre and say to Tyre, who dwells at the entrance of the sea, merchant of the peoples to many coastlands, thus says the Lord God, O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are on the heart of the seas. Your builders made perfect your beauty. They made all your planks of fir trees from Sinir. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make a mast for you. Of oaks of Bashan, they made your oars. They made your deck with pines from the coast of Cyprus, inlaid with ivory. A fine embroidered linen from Egypt was your sail, serving as your banner, blue and purple from the coast of Belgrade, was your spawning. The inhabitants of Sidon and Arbad were your rowers. Your skilled men, O Tyre, were in you. They were your pilots. The elders of Gabal and her skilled men were in you, caulking your seams. All the ships of the sea with their mariners were in you to for your rears. Persia and Lud and Put were in your army as your men of war. They hung the shield and helmet in you. They gave you splendor. Men of Arvad and Helek were on your walls all around. The men of Gamad were in your towers. They hung their shields on your walls all around. They made perfect your beauty. Tarshish did business with you because of your great wealth of every kind. Silver, iron, tin, and lead they exchanged for your wares. Javan, Tubal, and Meshach traded with you. They exchanged human beings and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. From Beth to Garma, they exchanged horses, war horses, and mules for your wares. The men of Dedan traded with you. Many coastlands were your own special markets. They brought you in pavement, ivory tusks, and ebony. Syria did business with you because of your abundant goods. They exchanged for your wares emeralds, purple, and embroidered work, fine linen, coral, and ruby. Judah and the land of Israel traded with you. They exchanged for you merchandise, wheat, of Mineth, meal, honey, oil, and balm. Damascus did business with you for your abundant goods because of your great wealth of every kind. Wine of Helvon and wool of Sahar and casks of wine from Uzal they exchanged for your wares. Wrought iron, cassia, and calamus were bartered for your merchandise. Dedan traded with you in saddlecloths for riding. Arabia and all the princes of Kedar were your favorite dealers in lambs, rams, and goats. And these they did business with you. The traders of Sheba, and Rama traded with you. They exchanged for your wares the best of all kinds of spices and all precious stones and gold. Haran, Cana, Eden, traders of Sheba, Ashur, and Chilmah traded with you. In your market, these traded with you in choice garments and clothes of blue and embroidered work, and in carpets of colored material bound with cords and made secure. The ships of Tarshish traveled for you with your merchandise. So you were filled and heavily laden in the heart of the seas. Your rowers have brought you out into the high seas. The east wind has wrecked you in the heart of the seas. Your riches, your wares, your merchandise, your mariners and your pilots, your coffers, your dealers and merchandise, and all your men of war who are in you, with all your crew that's in your midst, sink into the heart of the seas on the day of your fall. At the sound of the cry of your pilots, the country shakes, and down from their ships come all who handled the oar. The mariners and all the pilots of the sea stand on the land and shout aloud over you and cry out bitterly. 
They cast dust on their heads and wallow in ashes. They make themselves bald for you and put sackcloth on their waist. And they weep over you in bitterness of soul, soul with bitter mourning. In their wailing, they raise a lamentation for you and lament over you. Who is like Tyre, like one destroyed in the midst of the sea? When your wares come from the seas, you satisfy many peoples with your abundant wealth and merchandise. You enrich the kings of the earth. Now you are wrecked by the seas and the depths of the waters. Your merchandise and all your crew in your midst have sunk with you. All the inhabitants of the coastlands are appalled at you, and the hair of their kings bristles with horror. Their faces are convulsed. The merchants among the peoples hiss at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Change my title. I, well, there's no title in the evening sermon, so I can put my title in. Really, this is almost like the funeral eulogy. The first uh, part of it is like a, a eulogy over um, the destruction of Tyre, the, a description of the glory of Tyre, a, a praising of its glory, and then the last part. Uh, of this long text is the degradation and destruction of time. So um, the order to Ezekiel to prophesy uh, as it comes again and again in the book of Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came to me and as the prophet of God he is to speak God's word and he is told in verse 2 to raise a lamentation, a lament over the destruction of Tyre. As I said this morning, uh, Tyre at this time was an island. If you were to go to the, the uh, ruins of Tyre today, you would see that it exists on a peninsula that sticks out from um, um, the uh, southern Lebanon coast and, um, and it's built up, uh, silted up uh, a great deal, and you would hardly know that it was at one time an island, but it was a, a, an island about a half a mile. And famously, Alexander the Great built a causeway from the ruins that the Babylonians left of the city of Tyre, on the, which was actually on the coast, and, um, and finished the city off, and then uh, since then, the town has re rebuilt. Uh, I looked at it on Google Earth, as I do sometimes, just to see what's there, and you'll see quite a, a, a few buildings and things on that strip of land. Um, the prophecy, though, is fulfilled because who thinks of this, the nation of Tyre as a maritime power, something we only find in the Bible, but that's, we have to 
put ourselves in the context in which Ezekiel wrote to understand just how uh, great a nation uh, it was. And this is a, a beautifully structured eulogy of lament that God gives Ezekiel, as so many of his uh, uh, prophecies are, so beautifully structured. Uh, and the, the structure of it is the metaphor of a beautiful ship that will be ruined by the judgment of God. And I, I try to think of a suitable analogy. Um, the closest, I mean, it, it doesn't exactly fit. The, the Titanic is the one that uh, many commentators refer to here. They think of the Titanic. You remember the Titanic uh, at the turn of the last century uh, was supposed to be the unsinkable luxury uh, ship of its time. Uh, my wife is fascinated with that for some reason, and I, I'm appalled by the very thought of anything being sunk. And uh, um, but it, it it is it is a, a uh, it is similar to that. This mighty, unsinkable, uh, a glorious ship that uh, was the luxury liner of its day, and yet it is brought completely to ruin. Um, and, and by the providence of, of hitting an iceberg. I, um, my closest encounter with becoming a member of the Navy was when I was in, a senior in high school and the Naval Academy actually wanted me to play football for them. And me and the, my um, good friend, the, the, the right guard, I mean, well, anyway, whichever side we played on, um, Billy Burmaster and, and I both, they wanted us both to play for them because we could actually pass the <laughs> exam <laughs> to get in. And, yeah. uh, and so, uh, but we thought about it. I thought about it. I grew, and I grew up as on, a, on a coastal town and uh, my father was in the Merchant Marine and had a, had a, uh, a romantic idea of ships in the ocean and uh, the more I thought about it, the more I studied it, I thought, this would be difficult. And one day I'm sitting in biology class with Ricky Burmaster, and he turns to me after we visited with the recruiter, and uh, he simply said to me what was in my heart. I don't want to get sunk. Mm -hmm. I thought, that really sums it up. <laughs> uh, I've read too many stories. I, I, the, the analogy here is not really one of a luxury liner. The analogy is more of a battle cruiser, uh, of a battleship uh, decked out in its royal splendor. It, it's filled with uh, armament, shields, and, and, uh, and the ability to conquer enemies across the sea oars and sails and trained crewmen and a, and a, a constant uh, uh, contingent of, of uh, uh, workers to repair the ship constantly. Um, having the finest soldiers, a, a contingent of Marines, if you will, from all over the world, from all the nations of the world that have been hired as mercenaries to pr protect their economic interests. And, and 
line after line that talks about how beautiful the masts are, how how um, how fantastic this ship was, how they plundered others, and how they uh, were were able to become this truly great maritime power. <coughs> The theme of these four chapters that we're studying over the course of three weeks of the nation of Tyre is what happens to those who reject the word of God, who turn their back on God's people, and who exalt themselves over others. The problem is their prosperity, their wealth and their success turn their hearts away from God. I'll never forget as a young minister many years ago, I, I, when I came to um, Northwest Arkansas as a church planner 40 years ago, um, I Knew, knew I needed help, so I attended every conference I could on church planning. <laughs> I hung out with people who were were my betters, who had been successful, and I'll never forget uh, being in a conference with uh, uh, one of our ministers at the time, who I just uh, thought had hung the moon, had been a successful church planner on on, on uh, in a number of places, and was a pastor of a thriving church and it was in the midst of uh, the rebound of the Reagan years of incredible economic prosperity and I remember he, he gave, he, he, uh, he gave a, a speech and, and our, our met, it wasn't a sermon, it was, it was a talk and he stood up and he said, prosperity is killing us. Prosperity is turning our hearts away from the Lord. And I remember thinking as a young man how incredibly profound this is. It was just a few years later that that man uh, very famously had been involved in a horrible scandal that has removed him from the ministry. And I thought often what a, what a, what a incredible uh, illustration of this point. The point is, prosperity and wealth, if we don't acknowledge its source, puffs us up, makes us proud. And the scripture is very clear that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Uh, it is a incredible thing to observe in our current culture. And, and, and sadly, uh, I've been uh, in the church around the world and visited, had the privilege to visit the church in the third or even the fourth world. And we are exporting the most popular brand of uh, the Christian faith. It's, it's full of admixture, and there are many godly people who are caught up in it. But the most popular brand of Christianity across the world is the so-called prosperity gospel. 
it's terrifying to me that this is the view of Christianity that so many uh, believers have in the world. The fastest growing churches in the world, if you want to fill up a stadium in Pakistan, simply announce that one of these famous prosperity preachers is coming to town and they'll have 50,000 people in a stadium to hear the latest um, thing from the prosperity gospel preachers. Um, and the message is, if you put enough in to your faith, then God will give you riches and blessings. Prosperity in this world. The most, one of the most popular preachers in the nation talks about this in terms of you have, you are, God wants you to have your best life now. He wants you to, to, um, to uh, have all the material things that make life worth living. This is so contrary to the gospel, yet we see its seduction. The people of Tyre thought that their best life now was all that mattered. And whatever advanced their best life now was all important. Even if it was at the expense of Judah and Jerusalem, which were experiencing the judgment of God. Our Lord Jesus uh, referred to uh, Tyre and Sidon, the sister city. They're, they're, they're Tyre and Sidon are are just about 10 miles apart on the map if you look at them, the ancient cities. And, and I think it's Luke uh, 10, chapter 10, and Matthew chapter 11, the parallel passages. He talks about um, preaching in Capernaum, and he talks about uh, uh, preaching in a little town called Chorazin. Um, and, and he says to them, it would be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the people of Tyre and Sidon, if the miracles that had been performed there, they would have repented in dust and ashes. But the, the, the heart of, of, our hearts are so hardened by the world that we lose sight of this, uh, this obvious truth. In the book of Revelation, the, the commentator that I'm following most closely on Ezekiel is, is uh, uh, a man named Ian Dugan. In his commentary on Ezekiel, he points out this point of application extremely well. And he, and he makes the point of this, in the letters to the seven churches that John writes in the book of uh, Revelation, it is only the two churches that in which Jesus, as he walks among the lampstand of the churches, it's only those, those churches who are enduring persecution for the sake of the gospel that are blessed. How often do we, do we think like those other churches? I, I'm, I'm rich, I'm self-sufficient, 
I have need of nothing. Rather than thinking humbly and submitting uh, to God's sovereign uh, dealings with us, even in the midst of suffering. Um, even if we don't name it the prosperity gospel, I, I know my own heart, my tendency is to think that way, and that's why it's so successful. What does Tyre represent? It is indeed a historic city, a historic place. It's analogous to a beautiful battleship that uh, is cruising the oceans um, and dominating the seas. What does it represent? I believe it represents the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Uh, as I said this morning, it's analogous to Babylon in Revelation 18, whether you believe that's Rome, or whether you believe that's uh, Jerusalem, the prostitutes sitting on the city of Rome in collusion. As I, I, I tend to think from the clues, the clues in that passage, it tends to, uh, those, those tend to be revealed, regardless of your understanding of those, whether there's some future power the, the application is the same. We live in a world uh, that is constantly concerned about its prosperity and its self-advancement. This uh, election this week is all about, we were paying $1.85 for gas two years ago. <laughs> now we're paying $4 a gallon. I mean that that's the that's the heartstrings that are being pulled on and an economic reality is certainly something to be concerned about. But the truth is those kind of events and, and we and we have the privilege as citizens of, of um, being involved in that process and speaking to those policies that that do those things and, and I'm not making fun of of, of, of economic issues so, because they're vitally important for, to our nation and to its well-being. But the message of the gospel transcends whatever personal <coughs> peace and affluence that we might be uh, pursuing at any given time. This prosperity gospel is offered in so many forms. It's not just the Name it, claim it. I call it um, blab it, grab it preaching <laughs> that we so often hear. Um, it's all around us. Uh, the the the, uh, the great whore of Babylon is uh, is personified in many many places. Uh, not not uh, not the least of which in our culture is Hollywood and everything they produce and all that they promise, not the least of which is social media, this phenomenon of people's lives consumed by virtual relationships. Um, in, the, in the subplot beyond it all, I believe, and I believe it's doing more damage to the souls of our nation than any other thing, pornography. 
this incredible uh, allure that Satan presents the, the gratifi uh, gratification of the moment, and yet he hides the hook of shame and judgment. <coughs> the result is tragedy. We see in our text. Over and over again, the promise is the destruction of Tyre. We see that beginning in verse 26. Your rowers, your your engine, your engine in that in that day were, were it was not a, uh, a modern engine, of course. It was rowers. Uh, this this kind of ship we could have had could have had up to a hundred rowers to move it along. When the, when the winds uh, were not favorable. What happens when our hearts are turned away from trust in God to trust in this world and seeking the things of this world? What happens is destruction. So we have here the destruction of time. Again, the ship analogy is very intense. This ship, this beautiful ship, this powerful vessel with all of its strength, with all of its uh, 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 ability to navigate the seas and go to places and conquer and plunder. This beautiful uh, uh, vessel is destroyed. It's a message that we need to hear every day. That all that is pomp and pride and all that is elevated against God will be destroyed. Because God is opposed to the proud. To the proud. Pride is the primeval sin. Pride is the moving sin of all sins. God hates it. This is what elevated uh, time. We'll see that next Sunday when we get to chapter 28. The analogy of the fall of Satan as the prince of Tyre is one that churchmen have used for years. And I think it's very apt and it's very true. In opposition to the pride of man and the pride of Satan is the humility of Christ. How opposite our Lord Jesus is to all the pomp and circumstances of the world. We read his description prophetically in Isaiah 53. There is nothing comely about his outward appearance. Nothing that we viewed about him when he came that made him attractive to the world. His message is not one of conquering through military might. His conquest is by setting aside his throne rights in order to reach the undeserving. The message of 
Ezekiel 27, or all of these chapters in Ezekiel, rather, is the same message that is summarized in Proverbs 16.5, where it says, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord, and he will not go unpunished. If you survey history, and you should survey history, the history of the Bible, of course, as well as the history of the world, you'll see this time and time again. Look at the, the nations of the world. Look at the cultures of the world, which were once so mighty and powerful and glorious, and they're still studied for what they once were. But if you go there, what do you look at? You look at piles of rocks on the ground. shows you that God is conquering the world. And we who have our faith and trust in Jesus are called to conquer with him. That's the glorious good news of the gospel. Pride comes to us in so many forms. The temptation to pride comes in so many forms. It comes in in our, our personal abilities, our, our uh, ability to uh, uh, do, do our job well, to, to perform at a high level. It comes in the form of children. It comes in the form of grandchildren. It comes in the form of material wealth and, and uh, personal accomplishment, all of which God hates if we put them before him, when we make them idols, when we uh, worship those things in and of themselves. True humility comes not in uh, recognizing those things or having those things. True humility comes to the believer when we recognize that everything that we do have is a gift of God. In, including and especially our salvation in Christ. And if we have him, we have everything we need. And we have the promise that, that uh, if we seek him and his righteousness and his kingdom first, then all the things that we need to live will be added to us. That's what Jesus promised his disciples, that Lord... Uh, We've left everything to follow you. Well, I'll tell you the truth. You, you who've left everything, you're going to have all this and more because of that. In this life. And then the life to come. Eternal life. God will judge the proud. That's the message here. We have an enemy who wants to destroy us. It's, it's uh, the, the, the spiritual reality behind this is uh, is is uh, obvious if we just think about the whole of Scripture. I think about the Book of Job. The Book of Job is is should be the, the complete antidote to the prosperity gospel. Job Job is the picture of health and wealth and prosperity and children and, and a fabulous estate and a picture of someone who is completely faithful to the Lord. 
And yet it is one of the most painful books for us to read when we see him stripped down to nothing, including his health in this pitiful condition. And yet in that pitiful condition, when he is told by his wife, he's told by his friends that he is worthless and nothing, he calls out to his Redeemer. Job 19, I know my Redeemer lives, and he will take his stand on the earth, and I will be raised with him in that day. We are invited as, as Christ's people to the marriage uh, supper of the Lamb. We are invited into fellowship to the one who was rich beyond comprehension and yet for our sake became poor. In the case of Tyre, we have no, no uh, confidence. It's interesting, though, in the Gospels, Tyre is referred to constantly in, in Acts as a place that Paul and his companions go. The Lord Jesus goes there to heal, heal someone. It's, it's, uh, it's not totally abandoned spiritually in the New Testament, even though its former glory as a world power is ended. It, it's, a, it's a picture, as we read through the scriptures and note it, it's a picture of, of God's grace, which continues to sinners of all kinds. To understand who Jesus is, we must understand that he is the Lamb who was slain. He was the one who emptied himself of his power and his might and his glory in order to become like us in all ways, yet without sin, in order to raise us from the ruin of the shipwreck. I remember, I, uh, I, think, I think the reason Billy Burmester, we probably read the same thing as we used to read a lot of World War II stories of what happened to people who were shipwrecked in the ocean, our sailors, and uh, it was not pleasant. Their choice was a, a many times it was a burning ship or uh, a frozen uh, grave in the water, you know, what do you want to do, burn alive, uh, freeze to death, or, or uh, in the Pacific, uh, their choice was to uh, drown or be eaten by sharks. Uh, horrible, terrible things. I hope I'm not ruining anyone's naval career. <laughs> but I thought about these things. And, that, and the, the Ezekiel, the Holy Spirit, obviously wants to prompt us to think about the tragedy of a shipwreck or a ship to go under. We think about the Titanic and its beauty and its splendor. And it runs across the, the bottom of an iceberg and it's gone in hours. And thousands of souls are lost. And the question, and this is Tyre. This is what's happening to Tyre. All the inhabitants of the coastlands, every, and not only, not only, not only the, their personal tragedy, but the, the, the scorn 
of the surrounding nations. Their former uh, trade partners, their merchants, they hiss at you because you have come to such a dreadful end and shall be known more forever. That is the fate of those who reject the Lord Jesus. That's why Jesus said what he said to those at Capernaum and Chorazin. They would have repented if the, these miracles had been done in your presence. We have something greater than the people of Tyre. We have something greater than the people who even saw the miracles of Jesus. We have the complete gospel, the complete word of God. And we know its message. And what is its message? Its message is to repent of our pride and our unbelief. And put our faith and trust in Jesus alone. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to open the scripture and hear it read and expounded. We pray that the Holy Spirit would use this time to strengthen our, our faith, to deepen our walk with you, and help us to walk with new faith renewed faith and repentance and we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.